T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. I I just want to ask everyone, and maybe especially Danning, how far down the disclosure road will the A word, the alien or extra be mentioned? I mean, how many, I mean, what does that look like? Also, one more thing I want to say is that the narrative may be controlled by the government and the media, but there's the inner narrative we also have to work through. Like, is this just some program science fiction movie? That's what I'm thinking. I know it's not, but it goes along with what Danny's also done with the Paradigm Institute is that we have to each change our, or I do, my paradigm of how I see the world and and realize we're going into an unknown territory. There's, There's nothing that we can conceive of previously in human civilization that looks like the situation we're in. So those two things, the alien word and the, and the paradigm. Well, it's, it's really quite peculiar. If you, if you watch the, if you watch the interviews uh, of Lou Elizondo and, and uh, Chris Mellon, and even the interviews of Harry Reid, that, that it's inevitable that they will get to this point, each and every one of them get to this point of saying, well, it, it could be a Russian, it could be uh, Chinese, you know, uh, but it may be something completely different. And then people will say, they say, well, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? And then they will say things like, well, we may not be alone. I mean, th- that's actually part of the script. You know, we may not be alone. And so you say, yourself, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? And then you, some people press them and say, are you talking about an extraterrestrial from some other star system? And then they'll say things like, well, there are billions and billions of stars and it's inevitable that there's life somewhere else out in in the, that's, so we hear what it is they're saying, but they will never say it. They will, they will never say, uh, yes, I believe that there's a realistic probability that these vehicles are being staffed by people from another planetary system, from another star system. They won't say it because that's an extraordinary uh, a quotable quote. Uh, and if it's attributed to somebody who's the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, people will all start assuming that he's he knows that and it's being concealed. Uh, I think one of the most important questions that we have to keep pressing on all of us is that who is in charge here? You know, if if it's not MJ-12, if if those documents are deemed by a lot of people not to be authentic, then what is the group that is analogous to MJ-12? I mean, for anybody to keep on saying over and over again that nobody really knows, that nobody, nobody anywhere in the Defense Department has any coordinated understanding of what these vehicles are, where they come, nobody can believe that. 
I mean, there, there's, I've always been willing to attribute a certain level of incompetence to any government organization, because I've seen it so often from police departments to defense departments to CIA to everybody else, but nothing on this scale. You don't, you don't, have, you don't have vehicles uh, being monitored coming from 80,000 feet down to 50 feet above the water in less than one second, you know, estimated about 43,000 miles an hour, and then going underwater and traveling at 100, now 200 uh, miles an hour or uh, under the water and all, all around our battleships and our aircraft and over nuclear facilities and turning off the nuclear missiles. And then nobody is figuring out who these people are. I mean, that's just not happening. So that this constant, oh, shucks, you know, we just don't quite know what's going on or everybody's in their own stovepipe and they aren't communicating with each other. You know, I mean, that nobody with a political IQ above room temperature believes that, you know? And so the, the thing we have to keep pressing for here is, who is in charge here? If secretaries of defense aren't being briefed in on this, if, if presidents of the United States are not being briefed in on this, if the heads of Senate intelligence committees are not being briefed in on this, who is it that's briefed in on this? Who is it that's doing the briefing in on this? You know, that exists somewhere. And that's the key to this thing. And, and the, what that does is it, it bleeds over into the entire question about our government. You know, who is it that is in charge of really pulling the strings behind the Democratic Party, Republican Party, you know, the Senate and the House. Who is it they're all afraid of? You know, I, I spent 20 years in Washington, D.C., and it's perfectly clear that when you start pressing on them over a number of different issues, you know, for example, I brought a full memo laying out the smuggling operations of the cocaine operations being smuggled with Central Intelligence Agency participation into the United States. We tracked the, 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 the shrimp boat companies that were bringing these in, the house where they were being kept. I had the unlisted telephone number of the house. I had the code words you use to order uh, the cocaine from them. I met with the head of the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency uh, Strike Force, sat down with him with, the, with one of his very best friends who brought me to the meeting. And I pushed the memo across the desk to him and he looked at it and read it. And he looked up and pushed it back to me and he said, Look, Dan, you know what this is, and so do I. I plan to live to see my retirement. Okay, who is it they're afraid of? You know, who is it that is knowledgeable about this? Who is it that are pulling the strings on this? Who is it that has the technology? Who is it that's garnered the technology? And, you know, there, there are people that are totally unbelievable who say, oh, yeah, I know who it is, you know, and they've got the whole secret space program, and I've been to other galaxies, you know, several, you know, that, that, None of that's true, you know, in my opinion. But the, but the fact of the matter is somebody knows. Uh, and our job is once this door is started to get open now, is for us to flood this door, bring in all the information that we know, give all the information to the American people, and try to generate a movement of people. And, and one of the things we need to do, very importantly, we have to participate in helping to communicate the spiritual dimension of this whole thing or what is understood by the lay people as a spiritual uh, dimension. Right. We've got to get this across to people so that we can overcome this threat analysis, that everything has to be perceived as a threat against the interests of our nation state. We have to start perceiving ourselves as a, a planetary culture, a particular species that we are, and we have to develop our relationship with other extraterrestrial species. And that, that reflects upon all of our deep religious beliefs, 
you know, and th these are things that we have to come to grips with in the community. Uh, so I think uh, I agree with I, I agree with with Don. I agree with with everybody who's spoken here that this is a unique moment in history. Uh, I know positively, based upon 50 years of experience with them, they do not intend to release any more of this information than they have already decided they want to release for whatever their reasons are. Our job is to make more of that information available and to generate a, a nationwide, worldwide, planet-wide movement to insist upon our people being told about this because we have to participate in this decision. This is a, these are sets of decisions that are being made now that are going to affect our relationship with these extraterrestrial beings for another 50,000 years in the future. Wow. This, is, this is an extraordinary time period uh, in, in human history. And we have to tread carefully, but consistently and persistently to get these answers to these questions right now and not stand for these people hiding this stuff from us for their own perceived uh, advantage. Danny, can I ask a question based upon that without uh, sure. giving any client privilege away? Um, you started working with a number of the people who are now involved in this. Have you learned anything new from what you knew before? Because you'll hear, like, for example, Elizondo will say, oh, I can't talk about that. They'll throw me in jail. And that's the question I've always had, same as you, is like, somebody's got to be know the classified material above him. So have you learned anything without giving anything away? Is Are you better off today than you were, say, six months ago in terms of what you know? Well, it's interesting. This this is the, the, the sort of epistemological question is how do you know anything? You know, this is a very difficult area. Even if you're sitting down directly across the table from someone who has a high security clearance and they tell you something, you can't tell whether that's true or not just because they said it. I mean, it's one of the very first things you learn as a lawyer in doing cross-examination of anybody or, or putting, choosing to put a witness on the stand that you, you have to have a, a extrinsic means of determining whether what they're saying is true. Uh, and so I, am, I have been told certain pieces of information which I didn't know before. I don't know that they're true yet, uh, but I do know how to find out. Uh, and that's one of the advantages that I have. You know, I have a whole uh, staff of people, not on staff all the time, but I have access to them who are major professional investigators. They're investigative journalists. There are all kinds of people that down through 50 years of practice that I've come to know and trust. And they know how to go about tracking down the veracity of a particular piece of information. And so now I'm in a position right now to be able to be getting additional pieces of information, uh, which are purportedly true, uh, which I have a responsibility as an attorney to undertake independent means to determine whether they're true or not. Uh, Rule 11 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure require that, that before you can, as a lawyer, make a specific claim, which you're making as an officer of the court, you need to verify it for yourself. And you can't just take one person's uh, word on it, or even two. You have to be able to figure out if there are extrinsic means of proving things. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. So I'm, I'm trying to be able to, when I, when I was representing Dr. John Mack, for example, then we were preparing, we, we had a, a weekend long meeting with uh, Lawrence Rockefeller and, uh, and Lawrence agreed to finance 
a full grand rounds of information to Harvard University, as long as they were going to be picking on John Mack, why not take advantage of that and put on a whole series of witnesses uh, communicating to Harvard University, which perceives itself as sort of the seat of the liberal ethic in Western civilization, you know, along with Oxford and Cambridge, you know, that, that, that why don't we have a grand rounds? My job was to figure out who the witnesses are that we were going to put on more specifically who the witnesses were that I was going to put on uh, as the lawyer, because I have to represent to the forum that I believe that what I'm putting on is evidence in front of you. I believe it to be true. And that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. I'm uh, attempting to figure out uh, what's true. I've, I've been involved in this for 50 years, as I've said, but that this is one of the first times I'm in a position to be actually legal counsel for people who have access to some of this information. So I would have the ability to have my people, investigators and journalists and others, you know, undertake an investigation to determine what it is that's true about this. That's one of the major missions of the New Paradigm Institute that we're talking about putting together uh, to mount this type of an investigation. But that it, as I, I hasten to point out, there it has to be co-joined with a, a campaign on behalf of us as regular citizens or regular people to reach out to the people, the extraterrestrial beings themselves, to say, look, you are the ultimate determiner of what it is that's going to be revealed here. So that you are you are in a very important role with, that we don't want to go getting conned by you. We're, we're not participating unknowingly as agents of any extraterrestrial uh, civilization. We're not functioning as agents of Central Intelligence Agency or Defense Department or anything. We have to function as citizens uh, who represent our species throughout time uh, in, into the future. We need to understand the kind of extraordinary responsibility that has befallen us in our generation of people like ourselves on this call who have devoted our lives to trying to figure out what the truth is of this. I want to as counsel for the Disclosure Project and counsel for the Citizens Commission on, on Extraterrestrial Life, uh, and as legal counsel for Lou and legal counsel for Disclosure and legal counsel for other people down through the years, I need to exercise every single bit of uh, skill that I have uh, and goodwill that I have that I hope I've generated over the years with everyone by being honest and straightforward with everybody uh, to help our community. You know, as basic, I guess one of the very few lawyers uh, who has who has dared to say the things I've said publicly about this subject, and and offer my free services to people to help us get this done. So that's that's where I am right now. Wonderful, yeah. and everybody, I believe we have a new yeah. guest joining us here at the top of our next hour. Uh, you know, JJ has some background information relevant to this from the history of the phenomena. Go ahead, JJ. Uh, first of all, I've been involved for 48 years in fuel research and I uh, concur with Danny, uh, particularly his theological background, which I also share, which is very important to look at the larger overview of more than 82 categories of ET uh, events that I've investigated counting. But I wanted to share briefly that in 2004, several members in the Mexican military wanted to come forth with information regarding the so-called Campinas event Campeche, of 11, Campeche. Campeche, excuse me, Campeche event over Mexico where 11 extraterrestrial ships were seen 
off the coast of Campeche, and this reached high levels. The Mexican government was prepared to go ahead with pilots and military who were involved in the investigations, but a call was received from the United States to uh, simply not go ahead, uh, to cool their heels and simply wait for further information. That information, which was critical to 2004, was never fully presented. So I'm saying that there is a reason why we need a grand strategy here involving other countries to put the pieces together. That's great. Right. Which I guess this would be a good segue into our conversation panel about ICER. And I thought Victor would be here to join us for today. But Don, I think you can kind of give us a run through on ICER and this international conglomerate, I guess, is what I've been calling it in my head. It seems like we've got representatives from each country or each continent here trying to form some good to maybe push this through to UNESCO and the UN. Well, not that the current situation had anything to do with this, Mm -hmm. but we started the process over three years ago with meetings in China and then Russia England, with the talk that if we would put a coalition together, representatives from five continents, and to date we are up to 27 countries, we expect to be up to 30 and possibly even 50 by the end of the year, with the hope that we would then be recognized by UNESCO, Mm -hmm. be able to present papers at the General Assembly of the UN, strictly on the UFO situation. And our timing right now for having launched this past week, we went public and uh, we've had an international press conference. We had a European, next week we will have a uh, American press conference. And again, I could not agree with Danny Moore, the idea that there will potentially be a void that if we are to trust the very people who have been the first of all i find it amusing that the air force remains strangely quiet in all this one part of me would like to believe that the navy has finally said we're fed up with the air force speaking for us Because as we all know, one branch of the military is in competition with the other. They've never worked together, really. And as a result, the Air Force, I think the best example would be when the Project Blue Book files were declassified in 1977 under the Carter administration. 13,000 cases. Where were all the Navy cases, all the Army cases, Marine Corps? It was a handful. And we're yet, yet we're, we're, we're to believe that the Navy, who has had the greatest coverage of global surveillance in the past 75 years, way beyond the Air Force, who was only able to operate within sovereign airspace, mainly our own, and that the Navy hasn't been collecting these reports. They haven't had their pilots experiencing what now all of a sudden seems like there's been this plethora of activity. Well, I would suggest that this has been ongoing for, since World War II. So if the Navy alone were to disclose at least some preliminary studies, reports, activity that they've conducted 
over the past, you know, three quarters of a century. I think it would finally demonstrate that the Air Force was running interference all that time, that Blue Book was nothing more than a PR front, as we all know it was, and that now with countries that are uniting, that are looking at this and saying, okay, now we're waiting for the United States to set the pace, to demonstrate how they're going to handle this. And if it's, again, a disclosure with a small d, it cracks the door. And that's where all of us collectively have to be willing to put our feet through that door and say, okay, now let us tell you what we know. Let us tell you what the civilian groups have collected over all these years. Let us present our own whistleblowers as to who we've talked to. And believe me, and Danny and the others, as far as even as far as the Washington front, whether we're talking about former presidents, Carter, Bush, Clinton, certainly, Obama, who now has entered as far as the arena in the last couple of weeks. But then in the memory of the late Congress, uh, Congressman Stephen Schiff of New Mexico, who represented us on Roswell, and then certainly the late Barry Goldwater of Arizona. And we could throw the former governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, in the ring, who has also offered to assist us. So we're talking politics withstanding. We're in heavy company all the way up to the Oval Office. So we got to stop being ashamed of talking about this. We, we need to stop feeling embarrassed that we have this knee-jerk reaction that the moment the subject comes up, it's taboo. Well, who made it taboo? Well, who even coined the very term conspiracy kook, conspiracy? Well, again, the CIA for their own agenda, for their own benefit. Right. We start taking control of the narrative. Which that leads me that I had a little moment on Dave's show when he hosted Lou the other night. Lou actually answered my question about the White House press secretary release kind of giggling giggling at the question even coming up, giggling that she was even asking it, and giggling that she had an answer. Which, you know, after Biden threw it back to Obama and ran off the stage, was just like, ask Obama again. I think, Grant, I said to you, I said, sounds to me like Obama, or that Biden wasn't prepared for that question. There's going to be a prepared statement. And so here it was. We're still facing that giggle factor which it's up to each and every single one of us, like Lou did on SOR, to call it out and say, stop the giggling. This is no laughing matter. This is serious. We're taking it seriously. You should too. Just end it. It's like calling out a bully on a playground. You know I what I mean? Exactly. I think we should print some t-shirts, stop the giggle. There you go. Welcome to the panel. giggle. Nicole, I mean... Nicole, if I may add one last thing. I had uh, a DJ in the Chicago market who used to constantly, you know, do just that. Play devil's advocate, but he would get personal. He'd get dirty. And I finally hit him. I said, you know, every time there's been a Gallup poll, it demonstrates that the majority of Americans believe in this subject. Well, let's take it a step further. The higher the education, the higher the intelligence the greater belief, the greater the belief. So the point being, he was speechless. 
he didn't know what to say because I pinned his ears to the wall. Never had me back on the show again, but the point was made that, you know, don't play this game with us because we are the ones who are on the front lines. We're reporting as far as, you know, our activity every so often and giving you, you know, an opportunity to, uh, you know, be entertained, you know, by the subject matter. But to us, it is not entertainment. It's the real deal. Well, and I think to those of us, especially over the last couple months, it's become very apparent that we are covering the news on this. And mainstream media is turning to researchers like everybody here on this panel to get information so they can broadcast something, which inevitably is putting them behind the learning curve already. We already know more than them. Now they're starting to kind of pick through us to see what they can use, which is good, but that just means we need to be louder than we ever have before. They are starting to change this threat narrative, if you've noticed. They're starting to turn it to hostile, if it showed hostile activity, and play on words like that. But as we all know, even those of us in the community who have been studying this long, who feel like we know more than mainstream media, we often ourselves turn to experiencers and what experiencers are doing and saying and the contact that they have. So maybe I would like to turn it over to Mark Sims here for a little bit and he can talk about his initiative as far as making contact goes. And then Preston, we haven't heard from you either. I'd like to maybe hear your voice. I know you could probably chime in with some cases or messages from experiencers and yeah, whatever you want to throw in on. I was going to get one quick word in. Sorry, guys. I have to leave in 15 minutes. We have people coming over for a barbecue. So I didn't want anyone to think that I was rude or uninterested when I sign off in 15. Well, sorry, go. let yeah. me ask you a quick question. Let him go. <laughs> We've been talking about leaked information or information getting out. How have you, have you ever had tapes sent to you, James? Have you had information given to you by the government or the military? Or have you had to fight tooth and toenail to get what you've gotten for your movies or your documentaries? I'm looking forward to some freebies. <laughs> <laughs> so like... There's not a list of you like Corbell. He seems to have a channel. There's no James Fox channel of information to get out. Okay. There's sweat equity, if that works. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> we had one. We had one weird thing happen. I would not for getting a hold of anything, but when I met with Jacques in the lab with Gary. Mm -hmm. something spooky happened during that time and it spooked Jacques and in turn spooked me but nothing no evidence or anything dropped on our laps unfortunately right <laughs> but I'm open to it but, okay. but James I just have a question when you had Harry Reid there right in front of you for your last film The Phenomena and he said well I can't tell you anything more or else did you press him or did you I mean, that was such a critical moment in the film. It just kind of. I, I, I almost lost. Does you, can you guys hear me? Okay. With this microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cause it said, do you want to use the, the, the microphone on the computer or this? And I thought, I hope it it's working. Um, 
I wasn't sure what his level of comfort zone was. And we almost lost the interview about five minutes prior to, to him arriving. And I won't bore you the details on that. So I felt like I was kind of skating on thin ice. I did push the envelope a little bit when I got relatively comfortable. And I pushed it, to, I think, it's about as far as he was willing to go at the time. And, um, um, yeah, so. It was I, such a critical moment in the film. It's like, come on, we're right there. Come on, just let it out. What do you know? And he stopped. So Well, I, well yeah, but he gave us. He did. I thought I was pretty impressed with what he said at the time. You know, I mean, you know, it worked for me. <laughs> can, can I ask a question, James? You, you, uh, if you see John Podesta has now jumped into the uh, fray with Politico making comments about Obama should open up. You did a an ex, sort of an extended interview with Podesta and you probably only put like 10 seconds in the in the film. Is there anything you can tell us based upon your interaction with Podesta that might add to him? being now involved in this because you had a long uh, interview with him. i've been it well i can say that i have been in touch with him very recently um and uh uh he is incredible he came across incredibly encouraged by what's happening and um uh and he seemed to be he indicated to me that he was doing things behind the scenes with the biden administration yeah, that's what that's the question I had sort of like, what do you think he was involved? Because, you know, Hillary came out in May of 2016 and said the new word is UAP. It's not UFO anymore. And and he's in the WikiLeaks where he had the meeting with the generals and Robert Weiss from Lockheed Skunk Works. Do you think that he played a major role in moving this out? Like people think this just happened in the last year. I, I maintain that Podesta and Hillary were pushing this thing back in 2016, and then the WikiLeaks dropped, and Hillary lost the election, and it sort of fell off the tracks. What is your opinion on that? I think he was contributing in the sense that he was publicly comment on the topic. I don't think that he was doing a lot from my meetings with him and my discussions with him, just the very fact that he was participating, you know, endorsing Leslie Kane's book, providing interviews, um, having meetings with um, uh, Tom DeLong and, and that such. He did not give me the impression that he was working furiously behind the scenes to push for more transparency, but that, that his role was more, hey, I'm a fairly well-connected individual who's willing to speak out publicly on this topic that that's what he's kind of shared with me beautiful thanks maybe we can go to preston, preston on that same note oh. on that right. same note real quick um in my last conversation with jim semivan he went on and on it was a surprise to me that he suddenly brought up steve bassett and the background and the podesta story and and here's here was the guy heading up to the stars telling me that that was the background that allowed them to do this. He said that that all of that, Bassett was right, all that background, Podesta's involvement is what was the startup to this all happening. So and that he, was just, I just wanted to add that he brought that up. And I had put that in my book. It. I put that in my book and he commented to you that my book was what, 80% accurate, a couple of things were wrong, but- Yeah, you're managing magic. He said well. you were, you were most, mostly accurate. That's correct. Yeah, he did yeah. say that. Preston, you um, want to jump in because you wanted to talk. Let's let's hear Preston. Yeah, yeah, I, I would like to jump in. First, thanks for inviting me to this panel. It's an amazing group of people. We've got, what, a couple hundred years worth of UFO experience here, at least. 
so this is pretty exciting times. I've been involved in this field for about 35 years and been watching it very closely in terms of disclosure, especially. And I'm very excited about what's happening now, but I think I'm speaking mostly to the viewing audience here because you guys are already UFO experts, so to speak. Uh, but the cover-up is no joke. I mean, this is a very serious subject at very high levels. Uh, in terms of public studies, there's been Blue Book, the Conning Committee, the Robertson Panel, which spent millions of dollars basically saying that there's absolutely nothing to this and it's no threat. There is no threat to national security. So I find it interesting that there's a complete reversal on like, yes, this is a threat. I think that's completely disingenuous. Uh, but yeah, the cover-up is no joke. I know people who are contactees who are being surveilled by government officials right now. I personally was called up and threatened during my investigation into the UFO wave over Topanga Canyon. So that's one point I'd like to make. I have six quick points. The second point I'd like to make is that disclosure has been happening for a very long time. I think there's been people within government well, trying to push this out. And well, you have to ask mommy if it's okay. Go ask mommy. <laughs> so, so, yeah, the second point I'd like to make is that there have been a lot of people within high levels of government who have seen UFOs. Back in 1952, Congresswoman Isabella King of Arizona saw a UFO. Senator Russell, 1955, of Georgia. 1966, Governor Burns of Florida. Of course, Jimmy Carter, 1971. 1973, Governor Gilligan of Ohio. Dennis Kucinich, Governor Reagan, of course. Fife Symington. This has been something that's been bubbling, simmering for a very, very long time. So that's a quick point I'd like to make. I want to echo what um, other people have said in the panelists. We all have our part to do. I know Melinda Leslie has talked a lot about her own experiences and is showing other people UFOs. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I can't fight on that front. My front has been basically to educate people about the UFO phenomena, but I have been contacted by a number of government whistleblowers. I talked to a gentleman by the name of Ray Sachs, who was an electrician's mate on the USS Klamagor, which carried nuclear-tipped missiles. They had an incredible USO encounter where an object basically paced the Klamagor for 15 minutes. This was not publicly revealed, but I put it out. I talked to Dr. Gary Wagoner, a Navy officer on the USS Long Beach, a missile cruiser. I talked to Nell Hansen. His testimony is now out. He was a first-hand witness to the Malmstrom incident in 1967. So I've been trying to do my part, and yeah, I want to encourage everyone else to do what they can. Uh, another point I want to make, number four, is what is the end game to disclosure? Uh, for me, I want to see the Roswell craft in a museum. I want to see the bodies. I want to see the film footage taken or collected by Gordon Cooper at Edwards Air Force Base, or for that matter, the Eisenhower meeting on February 20th, 1954, that was allegedly filmed. That's a true incident. I think the evidence for that is growing and is not gonna go away. Fifth point I'd like to make is I think the ETs are a big part of this. They have been pushing for disclosure for a very long time. This is something I've heard from many contactees. They've been conducting a vigorous pub publicity campaign. This is why I think we have the Phoenix Lights, this Gulf Breeze, the Withville, Virginia wave, the Belgian wave, the French wave, Hudson Valley. I mean, it goes on and on. They are doing regular appearances. 
citing over the Rua Zimbabwe school. I'm sure you've all heard of that. That is not unique. I've documented more than 100 cases where they are hovering over schoolyards, no kidding, showing themselves to large groups of children. I've got 100 cases where they've hovered over drive-in theaters. They are doing a very vigorous publicity campaign. So my final comment, number six, which is regards to this coming disclosure announcement, I think we've got two real battlefronts here. Uh, one is getting the government to admit that this is not an unknown. That's completely disingenuous. They know exactly what this is. They've known since the early 1940s that this is extraterrestrial. So getting them to call it aliens, I think is something we have to really work hard on doing. And second is that this is not a threat. That's an absolutely ridiculous, ludicrous notion. I've documented some 300 cases of people healed of ETs. The ET's number one message to people is don't be afraid, we won't hurt you. Stop messing around with nuclear power. Why are you polluting your planet? You gotta stop these wars and they spiritually wake people up. So those I think are our two main things we really have to push towards. The end game of disclosure, call it aliens, show us the Roswell craft and no, it's not a threat. So yeah, thanks for letting me have my say and I'm super excited to be a part of this. Bravo. And Preston, I'm going to point out that is exactly what Volet said about your research and why everybody should be paying attention to what you're diving into. He said you have the best research out there to prove that it's not a threat based on the healing work that you've done. So bravo on that. I think everybody needs to pay attention to it. I'm bringing the book so you can sign it at Laughlin for me. So, <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Thanks. Preston. You guys, I the, the, the whole threat angle, I brought that up many times as well. I'm like, come on, what's this language, threat language? And honestly, they kind of go, well, it's getting the attention of Congress. You've got unknowns operating in sometimes secured airspace. If it had a Russian flag or a Chinese flag, it would be all hands on deck. It's really to get the attention. You know, Jacques has been saying that. I've had other military government officials actually say, well, you know, I was like, come on, man. If it was a threat, they would have vaporized us a long time ago. Come on, let's get real here. They're like, well, you know, it does get the attention of Congress. So I think that language is strategic. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, it's kind of working. But I agree with you guys that it's, you know, if it was a threat, uh, you know, they would have vaporized us a long, long, long time ago. Yeah. So, once, so once we kind of move it away from this threat narrative and everybody plays catch up a little bit and here, maybe I'll phrase it this way. Once we achieve moving it out of the DOD or the military complex and we get it into somewhere like our Department of Education and get it to our scientists that's when they're going to start turning to people like Mark Sims, <laughs> who is trying to make this contact in a very scientific and special way. So Mark, I'm going to let you jump back in. I gave you a little segue into it again. So <laughs> please take well, over. <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole. It's such an honor to be with this distinguished panel of people who has so many great points to make. And it is a special time, of course. Um, for those of you who don't know about me, because I'm relatively new to this scene, uh, I had a face-to-face -face contact experience in Borrego Springs, California that lasted 
for 13 days. I, this is a conscious, I was awake, uh, had dialogue and spent 13 days asking an extraterrestrial whatever question I wanted. And what I learned blew my mind um, on many levels. And it began my journey in uh, bringing me to this moment in time, frankly. I uh, have become very dear friends with Danny Sheehan and his family uh, and many others here in this community now know me because of this event that took place back in 2012. And I just feel like I'm on a mission to uh, bring about uh, ultimately a citizens diplomacy initiative. That's really what I see as the end game uh, to this, that w the government has done their job now. They have acknowledged the existence of these craft. Uh, and in some cases, they're even going so far as to saying they're not ours and they're not uh, other countries. Uh, and uh, if you can, you know, read between the lines, they're basically saying, you know, they're, they're from upstairs. Um, so now the job is on our laps. Uh, we, the experts of this phenomenon, of this, uh, of who and what they truly are, and like uh, Preston just mentioned, they have a track record of being benevolent, of having our interests collectively at heart and warning us of these times that we are seeing now. And so that's why I believe this is all happening now is because the time has arrived. We have some serious problems uh, facing us as a human family. We need to step up, grow up, and take responsibility for ourselves and our planet and treat each other kindly with compassion. And we have the technology and the means and frankly, the wealth to take care of all of the world problems. It's time for us to get serious about you know, becoming adults in the cosmic community. And they have been watching us and they are encouraging us and supporting those of us uh, here that are in this discussion right now. And my I feel my role is to tell my story, which is amazing, mind-blowing, what I discovered, what I learned from Tejbar, this being uh, uh, from nine years ago now. And, uh, and I'm on a mission along with Danny and others here to, uh, to organize a meaningful, respectful uh, disclosure initiative, a, a diplomacy initiative in which we will reach out and make diplomatic contact and relations, establish relations with these beings because they're ready. And I know everyone in this uh, talk is ready for that. Mark, I, I didn't realize that ayahuasca lasted 13 days. Is that? Is that <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course I'm you totally are. I, I, no, I, don't, I, I didn't do ayahuasca. I've never done ayahuasca my whole life. I, I'm really, you know, not a very, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I, you know, did some pot in high school. <laughs> That. You're I, starting to sound like you're starting to sound like President Clinton right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I didn't I inhale. No. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it's, it, you know, I, I often ask myself, I look at what they do and then I look at what they don't do. I think, gosh, I very simple, like the Travis Walton case. They cared about his well-being. That's right. If they if they would have dropped him off where they picked him up, he wouldn't have made it out of their lives. 
if they would have dropped him off in broad daylight, it would have confirmed everything that happened. But they dropped him off in this valley right on the outskirts of town, right? So they would minimize any potential exposure on their half, and they would increase the likelihood of him making it safely into town or into safely back. And I thought, well, wow, that's rather interesting. And all they really would have to do, and they've done those, these fantastic displays, is hover over Macy's Day Parade or a Super Bowl, and it's done. Game over. But they don't do that. It's interesting. They go just far enough, and then they back off. It's like, God. <laughs> I think <laughs> I said he was waiting his whole life for the, the one definitive case, you know. But G Gary wrote something in the text that I think we should ad address. Gary, why don't you bring up what you said to us in the text? Because I, there, there, I think it's important that that be addressed because, okay, I'll, I'll let go at Gary go ahead and say that. Although uh, I get on board with just about everything you guys mean and you guys say, um, but like there's a lot, like some serious issues I take up with saying that you know, if we are being visited by aliens, and most of you guys truly do believe that we are, I, I have to say I've never actually physically seen one, so I leave it to my own speculation until I see one. But say that, say we'll just assume they are. Saying that all aliens are benevolent is like saying all humans are good. Good and bad are relative to the individual's belief sets. So being that we're also assuming that they have the same range of emotions that we have. They may not, they may have a disconnected belief system. Like, you know, people that we have here on earth that have no ability to have empathy. They exist in our own society. So to say that there's not a situation that couldn't be bad from this is like kind of being naive. Um, I believe that we sh should go completely forward with the fact that most of us are good but there could be bad with the good it's a full package you know we need to accept all of it the good the bad the dark the light everything i'd like to uh, answer that point uh, and that's a very important point that you're making gary um i certainly am not saying that all ets are benevolent i want that to be very clear i do believe that the ones that are reaching out to us uh, the, the, the ones that uh, Preston described, all these cases uh, that James Fox just brought up, um, uh, are cases in which clearly they were benevolent. Um, it's, it's a complex story. Uh, I've had the privilege and the honor to have been given a full history on our planet. Um, and it's a complex story. It's an amazing story. And... Um, and, and there's an answer to this question, who are the malevolent ones? Uh, because maybe there are some malevolent ones, at least um, from a various perspective, from, a, from possibly your perspective. You may have either heard stories that indicate this to you um, and that you believe that there may indeed be malevolent. I am of the belief that um, maybe. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the point is, is that there, there are two big points here. Uh, the ones in which we are going to make uh, diplomatic relations with, I believe will be benevolent. And that will become apparent very quickly. Uh, secondly, that um, 
the story the, the, this is the, the end game of reaching out and making diplomatic uh, relations with establishing diplomatic relations with these highly advanced and spiritually advanced beings. And that's key. And, and we're not talking about that enough here. These are beings that are spiritually advanced and they have had a uh, kind of hands off, you know, the prime directive uh, has been a guiding principle uh, here. And that's why it's the balls in our court to reach out to them. And we have a responsibility to bring along uh, some contingent of the human family to educate them so that they don't freak out when there's a global event, when they show themselves for the first time the, to the entire human family. So we have some work ahead of us. I believe this, this, this uh, reaching out process is only the beginning of a, of a multi-year plan that we're all gonna be a part of to help those of the, the population that are, have no clue uh, what's what's going on, we have a responsibility to, to tell the story. Those experts that are here, the historians like Dan. I agree, I agree with you, uh, Mark. The ET interface is by, by and large peaceful and purposeful. I cite the work that I shared with uh, Gordon Cooper, who in 1951 saw flotilla spaceships over East and West Berlin and realized uh, we were dealing with higher powers that could... Uh, changed the course of history, but wanted us to change our consciousness. So this is very important as we go into space law and negotiation with the cosmic others, that we see the higher criteria of our consciousness change and involvement because there's so many categories, but we're all connected through a higher consciousness that can go beyond the nuclear scenarios and the old paradigms of confrontation that have limited us in the past, particularly the nuclear um, mindset that certainly it has been the troublesome factor of why there hasn't been active engagement. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Um, I guess I got, I got the only retort I really have to any of that is that even, even amongst the people here, uh, although we have a lot of positive mm -hmm. descriptions of these interactions with people that are willing to go with them. Um, but I've also heard hundreds of stories of people being ripped from their families against their will, raped, artificially inseminated against their will, given yep. babies against their will. How can that be, you know, morally correct? And if we do go into this space law, who's going to be held accountable for all of those crimes against humanity? Well, that's a very good question. And I agree with you, Gary. I believe uh, the abductees, many of them that claim uh, the things that, that you've described. And so the question we have for ourselves is how in, in, what, uh, how possibly could that be justified? Uh, certainly it, you know, seems like uh, these are crimes against humanity uh, perpetrated by these beings. Um, but if you have been following the abduction cases and especially the people who have been interviewing them, people like Barbara Lamb and Mary Rodwell, um, what they have seemed to uh, be learning through the many years of talking to these abductees who have continued to be abducted, uh, many of them, uh, that their attitude, while initially was very scary and traumatic, has uh, evolved 
And now they have a completely different perspective on it, many, many of these cases. And so, um, you know, that's something that should be considered here, that if you're not familiar with that, talk to people like Barbara Lamb and uh, Mary Rodwell and, and others. Uh, uh, you know, so it can be scary. Uh, of course, your first, you know, another person, of course, is my dear friend, Whitley Strieber. I mean, if there's, you know, I, I can't think of a more famous abductee who's done more writing on the, his personal account than Whitley. And he was terrified. He was raped. And he'll tell you that. He was, he was, uh, he was raped and it was scary and he thought he was going crazy. It, it almost ended up in the divorce between him and his wife, Anne. And, uh, but eventually he, over the years, began to discover what, that there was some bigger plan involved and that he was being engaged to play uh, an important role in, in helping, you know, uh, tell the story, their story and our story, because we are, we are connected with them, intimately connected to them. And that's what's so mind blowing here. Um, and, and I see James uh, Fox uh, raising his hand. I just wanna say what an exciting time. Thank you, by the way, for that, Mark. I want to, what an exciting time we're all living in. I think people like Stanton Friedman, it breaks my heart that he's not alive today to witness what's happening and how fortunate we all are and the roles we've all played and to see progress being made, whether, you know, look, no one's going to ever agree on every aspect of what's happening. There's always going to be nitpicking, but overall it's quite fascinating, mind blowing. I, I would have never dreamed in my lifetime that we'd be seeing what's happening. And so it's very exciting and I want to thank each and every one of you for everything you guys do. And, and, and I've been inspired by a number of you um, over the years. And, uh, and uh, yeah, thank you. And I just, I have to go right now because I, I have to go get ice for a barbecue. So, <laughs> but, but thank you. Life goes on. <laughs> James is oh, thank you, Nicole, for reaching out, for, for reaching out and inviting me and stuff. So anytime. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That was great. Thanks and enjoy your Memorial weekend. And uh, if you have time later tonight, Danny and I are going to be on Saturday Night Alive at 6 p.m. And we're going to be talking more about this Citizens Diplomacy Initiative. Well, Nicole's uh, been really great with keeping me in the loop. So I appreciate that. I can right. send you the link, James. Bye, bye everybody. Bye-bye. I'd like to, I'd like to, to I, and I want to address as an abductee what, what Mark was saying and Preston might join in with me here. Um, I'm an abductee and an abduction researcher. I've been public with my experiences for over 30 years now. And, um, and, and my research and or my experiences have been included in 29 books now. Um, but I've not written my own. So I, I can't claim that like Preston, who has been a pr prolific writer on the subject. Yeah, yeah. But I, I but but my research experiences have included. Anyway, so the reason I just said that was to address what Mark just said. Mark, Mark, you, you have a really good beat on that. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and Gary, so, so you know, and anyone else out there listening, a lot of abductees come, even though, like, even with me, initially my experiences were traumatic. And so it's very typical for an abductee to originally relate to their experiences as traumatic, um, difficult to live with, very isolating, and 
and the, the kind of the frightening, you know, part of them. But then over time, like Mark just said, uh, over time, then uh, you you learn to change with that. And, and it's very typical. I mean, I'm sure you can address this. I've worked with hundreds of advocates and everyone over time has a different view of their experience as they live with it and mature with it and grow with it. Just like, like, like Whitley has expressed, I, I, this is more typically the norm with people with experiences, Gary. Now, I'm not negating anyone out there who's had a frightening or negative experience, but also how new are you to dealing with it? How many regressions? How long have you lived with it? How many support groups have you been in, et cetera, et cetera, because your view of it will change over time. But at the same time, you know, people do have those experiences. So it needs to be, be at least, you know, given a place in this conversation to say that, yes, there are those people with those experiences. And, uh, and I encourage them to investigate, uh, work with a, a therapist, a trained hypnotherapist, get in some support groups, get some help, because, again, usually the your idea and your perception of those experiences changes with time. Preston, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Just real quick, I would say that ET behavior falls under the same umbrella as human behavior. I have talked to people who've had very negative encounters, and I would never in a million years discount that. And sometimes they don't change. I mean, it's negative. Sometimes it's just that way. The worst I hear is the physical examination. And if people have a very strong fear response, that's often the only thing they remember. They don't get to the good stuff. So yeah, uh, what I don't have in my own files is straight out sadism, accounts of torture, ETs wanting to hurt people or you know, getting off on that. No. So I think it would be a lot easier to prove humans are hostile than the ETs. But there's a wide variety of ETs. It's not just greys. There are unique humanoids we never hear from before or, before or afterwards. So it's a huge, huge universe. I would never in a million years say they're all our space brothers. But I think just the fact that we ha haven't been invaded and there were not on the dinner plate speaks volumes. That's, that's okay. a really good point, Preston. It's a big universe. It's, you know, the number of galaxies being discovered all the time, the number of what we believe are the, the you know, the planets, it, it, um, astrophysicists and astronomers now agree that it, pretty much every single sun is a planetary system. And that means every sun in every galaxy is a planetary system. There's no way we can know the intent of, of all the other species or beings out there and, you know, and where they are in their own evolutionary um, range there's no way for us to know and anyone who says it's all this or all that come on yeah, we don't we don't have that no. information there's no way to even say that i'm gonna butt in and bring up another controversial topic that's made headlines over the last week or two and i'm gonna point fingers a little bit at grant here on this one because he did catch some flack saying that if this is true and these are real images, then Grant's being an insensitive human by posting this. And I'm talking about the alien autopsy auction that's coming up. If these are true images, we are showing another being splayed out on a table. And it's kind of rude of us as humans to be commenting on it. But Dave Altman, you've been very patient and very quiet. 
I think you passed the information to the grant. So can you hear me? I can now. Okay, because I have a new new computer here. That's why I wasn't sure. Never used it before. So what would you like to know? I mean, it's pretty much out there and the auction is going on. It's still going on right now. I think it's over in like two days. It'll be over. Um, and I really don't have any stake in the game, really. I just, I met Ray and Gary uh, last year. Mm -hmm. Huh? What, Grant? No, it's midday tomorrow. Grant, did you say something? Yeah, midday tomorrow the auction ends. Uh, am I back? Yeah. You're breaking up a bit. Now we're losing. Yeah, it ends tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I, I met those guys. Well, Dave, I'm going to rat you out a little bit. How about now? Nope. <laughs> You're breaking up, Dave. Uh, better? No, you Go might ahead. have to log off and log yeah. back in, but I'm so sorry. I think that's what he's going to try. No, I was actually going to have him comment. I believe uh, he's had a conversation with Rick Doty about this recently, and I wanted to see what two cents that was going to throw into the conversation. Well, I had the conversation with Doty. I think Doty just goes into the fact that Kit Green, they all believed that they had a meeting in Kit Green's office about this, about the alien autopsy. And um, so he was just backing up when I interviewed him about where were they actually involved? And he said he, he couldn't confirm that the material in the Kid Green memo was real, but yes, the, all those people were involved and he was involved in the meetings. And most people didn't believe him, but it was confirmed that Richard uh, Richard Doty worked for Hal Putoff for 12 years. So they were using him. Can I make a comment on the evil alien thing? Because this is my favorite topic. Yes, go I'll, for it. I'll only do a little oh, bit. It, it's okay if you want to bring in religion and there's good and bad and God and the devil and all this kind of stuff. But the ones that dropped the atomic bomb. So if it, it doesn't get much eviler than that. So if there are evil races, then we are the evil race. I mean, it doesn't get worse than dropping an atomic bomb on civilians. And 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 you can say, you know, there's different degrees. The part that bothers me is when we put them in categories. That the worst are the black reptilians. Then the greys are the next worst. And then the Caucasians are the good guys. And the best guys are the the, the ascended masters, the Great White Brotherhood. We, you can see that we're reflecting on what we do. And I, I just posted this week about this, that the idea of who is an evil race keeps changing. And I posted in Canada, Prime Minister Trudeau just uh, did an apology to the, to the Italian Canadians. And um, in the United States, I posted this, uh, partition, uh, this uh, proclamation by President Roosevelt about the uh, alien enemies the Italians in the United States. So the, 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 um, the race that we seem to pick on, it was Italians in World War II, it was the Germans in World War II, it was the Japanese that were all interred, put in concentration camps. Then we went after the Vietnamese and, and the, then the Vietnamese were good guys because they were building Nike runners and we just keep moving it. So if you want to say, but once you start getting into races, I just remind you that it's a reincarnation world and if you happen to be born as a gray, are you now suddenly evil? This is nonsense when we start putting it into race that there are good races and bad races. It's simple racism as far as I'm concerned. Amen to that. 
I agree. I wonder, I wonder if we want to have it. We call it exoracism. 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 Dave Altman, do we have you back? How's your sound? I don't know. You tell me. It, it sounds a little better to me. Not better, no. No? No. Oh, hang on. So, what so about that? I've got a day. Is that better? Uh, for it Dave. Is. I've got a question for Dave. I, I went on to the uh, Rarible uh, website, rarible.com, where the uh, autopsy is actually the, the main thing that pops up on the website for the auction. And okay. it appears that the minimum bid that's being accepted is 450 um, uh, uh, Ethereum, which, uh, which amounts to over a million dollars. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to do with that except for handling some PR for Gary and Ray, but that is correct. Uh, that that just seems uh, a little um, outrageous. outrageous. <laughs> uh, that's my own two cents. I'll leave it there. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing to do with that. You know, like I work in television and that's how I met those guys. And they just kind of I kind of helped them out with PR for it. Yeah, I would hope that a million dollars would go towards, you know, other causes. I, I just, uh, you know. What but if it's is, real, then think how much it's worth. Well, you know, I, I've done a lot of work on on uh, of my own research, and there still isn't, I think, a definitive answer on whether that's authentic or not. That's my own opinion. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But, you know, I it could be. I don't know. I mean. But I can there, say personally, personally, knowing those guys, they've never once even hinted that it could be fake okay. could be for their own motives i don't know yeah well it, i uh, will you know, point out that they stated um i believe it was in one of their recent interviews or maybe grant when it's when they sat down with you they kind of set that price based on what somebody could potentially make off of this and that's not unheard of in the auction world especially when you're talking about being able to sell an authenticated copy of something, which I think oh. is what they'll have the rights to do. So yeah. nobody else will have. It's kind of more of the rights to what they have. And they've kind of come out and said, they're not ufologists. They're yeah. in it for what they have and they want to profit yeah. from it. They, so. they never work. Can I make a comment on this? Cause you mentioned the thing about this showing the, the uh, autopsy. One of the interesting things that I brought up with Jacques Vallée in my interview is this whole idea that Bob Bigelow was asked about the Roswell crash. And he said, well, yeah, there was the Roswell crash, but there's also a crash in Russia. There was a crash in China and there was a crash in South America. And I think they're seeding it. And then Tyler D, who's the famous uh, NASA guy in the in the American Cosmic, said he called it the gifting field. When they went to the crash, they had the gifting field. So I brought you remember I brought up Jacques Vallée and he said, well, I kind of came up with the idea. The yeah. gifting thing. And that's the whole thing that this may actually in the end, not be a crash, not shot down as Stephen Greer said, it may actually be a gift. This was all planned. This is all orchestrated. And you get big names like Jacques Vallée and uh, Bigelow and people who have inside knowledge. Uh, that changes the whole perspective of what's going on here in terms of the fact that this may have been a gift to us to help wake us up. 
not give us the answers because nobody's really been able to figure out the, to be able to turn the craft on or start it or whatever. But uh, it, it was a total different perspective. And I was kind of shocked when Jacques Vallée said, well, I was kind of came up with the idea of the gifting, that they were gifting this yeah. stuff. Because that's the whole thing with the metals. We get stuck with the metals and we say, oh, we got these metals and I got the weird isotopes. And I keep saying, like, it doesn't come across the flying, the flying saucer doesn't fly through the galaxy and then little pieces start falling off. They're dropping this stuff on purpose. Mm -hmm. Which falls in suit with the idea of gifting even being a gift of inspiration, like we see with so many contactees that get messages via their art or their music. So I like that idea. And I like that Valet claimed credit for it. It's like, he's like, I was the source of that. I started it all. <laughs> hey, Grant, there was a question in the chat about... If you know anybody that's ever received a ports during contact. Yeah. Um, a, a ports is, is actually gone? extremely, extremely common. I mean, if, if you look at the Skinwalker Ranch, the ASOP program that was over top of the, the ATIP program, there was, Jacques Vallée points this out, there was no UFOs at Skinwalker Ranch. That's not why they went there. They went there because they were putting bulls, four bulls in a trailer. There's 20, I list 20 uh, things. There was a, um, a post hole auger. It ended up 50 feet in a cottonwood tree. There was a woman came home with the groceries, put the groceries away, went back into the other room, came back, and the groceries are all back in the bag. That's what the Skinwalker Ranch was all about. It was about this paranormal apport, stuff disappearing, reappearing, that's what they're looking at, because if you're intelligence, that would be something you'd love to be able to do to make stuff appear, disappear. And it was it's all about apports. It's all about the paranormal phenomena. That's why they went to Skinwalker Ranch. They weren't looking at UFOs. They're trying to figure out how does reality work? How do how do they as Kit Green said to Jim Peniston, how do they pop in and pop out just as quickly? That's the whole thing. It's it's much more complex than just um, aliens or this sort of thing. It's this bizarre stuff that was going on in Skinwalker Ranch it was almost all manifestations and apports. And almost every experiencer has experiences where stuff appears, disappears, um, stuff, uh, you know, apports and manifestations. It's very, very common. And that's what Ray Hernandez pointed out, that it's not just, it's all these different modalities that you, when you have experiencers, they'll have precognition, all these other things, apports. It's much more complex than just simply an alien coming here and interacting with somebody. It has this whole paranormal aspect that indicates that we really don't understand reality as well as we think we understand reality. And that's why DIA went to Skinwalker Ranch because all this weird stuff was going on. And you discover new things in reality by looking at the anomalies. When anomaly shows you've got something wrong in your understanding of reality, that's why DIA went to Skinwalker Ranch. That I maintained it was the main program. It was not UFOs. It was the paranormal stuff that was going on at Skinwalker Ranch. Mm -hmm. All right. I have one final question for Dave Altman, if I could squeeze him on it a little bit. Um, for a little while, we caught some news that Demi Lovato is making a UFO show, and then it kind of went silent, and now we know that you're behind the scenes on that a little bit. Are we going to get a new kind of UFO show out of her, or can you give us any sneak peeks on what you saw happening? I mean, I really didn't see anything happening. You know, I, like you said, it was behind the scenes. Um, I do know people obviously that were there and were filmed that have told me good things you know um i can't even talk about who i know that was on um but it should be out soon they only did four episodes 
um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. You know, um, I think people need to give it a chance before they, you know, put it down. And the second that people heard that she was doing it, it was just attack, attack. And, you know, I, I just feel that people should attack her after it comes out and it's bad. If it's bad, you never know. Could be good. I think it's going to be. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it shows um, a new perspective coming from a new experiencer who's diving into this. So I think it could be good. Anybody else have any questions on that topic? No, let's ask Dave. Have you got any big guests coming up, Dave, on Space Radio that okay. we should be looking forward to? Oh, goodness. After this past week, I, I'm a pretty, you know, I don't know how I top it, to be absolutely blunt. But, you know, there's always something good happening. And now that we're getting closer to contact in the desert and how coincidental that the virtual contact in the desert this year, Grant, is going to be the same weekend when June 25th hits. I mean, that might be throwing presentations right out the window as they are going forward. And which reminds me, I still have to get you booked for a date. You know, you're one of the big wigs because Elizondo absolutely slammed your record for most live bis- listeners during the show live. So but, you got to, you got to defend your title again. You got to reclaim it. But Nicole has broken it. You and Nicole broke it today on this one. Anyway, I, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you an insight on, on to um, contact in the desert. They're going to open a portal. Um, I'm going to be on Steve Bassett and they're going to open it up because they anticipate this. They know that this thing may drop. So they're going to have this open channel. You don't have to pay for it. Uh, but they want people to go on there and do what we're doing today in case the story breaks. Well, to the start, uh, to, uh, the um, contact in the desert is going on. So they, they're aware. They're opening a portal just in case the story breaks. But Danny the- says it's not going to break. Danny said it's going to be delayed. I think other people have said uh, the same thing. Well, I suggest we do these things as stories break every time. Let's just have one of these things happen to kind of do the um update on that have so. you got anything coming up you run new realities you got a pretty big uh you've interviewed god and uh you know, Chopra I, I, and whoever. my interview with ralph blumenthal was very interesting he's going to be at uh contact in the desert and he didn't hint at anything coming up but it's sort of like i asked him and seemed like i i can't say but it seemed like some stuff was going on there and uh what else do i have coming up of course JJ Hurtak here and Desiree have been guests. I'll um, be talking to, oh, uh, Daryl Anka, who's probably one of the most well-known contactees. I'm interviewing him for the New Life Expo and 38 years of relationship. And of course, tonight, I'll show a little poster with Mark Sims. This is a major event there. Uh, Danny Sheehan, Whitley Strieber. Can you see that? Zinka. Uh, anything you want to jump in um, here, um, Mark? Uh, who else we have? Uh, oh, yeah. Bridget Nielsen, one of the best starseed communicators I've ever heard. Can you see that on your screen there? Yes, yep. yeah, we can see it. Uh, uh, Mark, you're going to be co-hosting with me. And uh, Anything you want to say about tonight? Uh, I just put into the link uh, the website where you can register for free. This is a free event, and this is going to be the first of two um, Saturday Night Alive events uh, where me and Danny will be leading. Uh, so we're going to be inviting some other people. In fact, I have uh, 
I plan on reaching out to uh, Preston uh, formally to ask if he would join and be on our uh, uh, event next week. That would be June 5th. I know you're in Laughlin and that's where I'm going to be and that's where Daniel Sheehan's going to be next weekend. So we're going to do the program live from Laughlin uh, at the conference there, the Laughlin UFO conference. So um, yeah, and if there's anyone here who would uh, be available, uh, we're still, we have a, a few open slots. Uh, we just found out that um, we have, we're going to do this again next weekend, a uh, week from tonight. And so the, uh, there's some wonderful people right here that I'd love to, uh, to have uh, be on there. Yeah, Mark, I suggested, did you get a hold of my Chinese girl? Because I, I pointed out that we're talking here like this is America and Canada, and this is ufology. This is only 4% of the population of the earth. We did the interview with um, the Xiao Chinese Ma. Girl, Xiao Ma. Yeah. And uh, so I suggested maybe try to bring her on to give yeah. a, an, a perspective that the rest of the world is having UFO sightings as well. I'm sorry that... Uh... Don Schmidt isn't still on with us, as well as that Victor uh, Vigiani didn't come on with us tonight. T today, I listened to an amazing panel by the folks from, um, uh, what is what is ICER. the name of it again, Nicole? ICER. ICER, thank you. From the ICER uh, International Group, and they're making sure that the media worldwide is addressing this disclosure story. And and how we can address this from a worldwide point of view. And I was so glad to listen to that. I'm, I'm, I want to definitely follow what they're doing and I recommend that everybody do. I thought there was uh, very important things discussed on that panel today. Yeah. I just want to go back to Sha Ma. When I interviewed her, she said that airport sighting that happened in China was at 2010. She said the craft actually landed and these beings came out and Chinese officials met these beings and they seem to have made some kind of treaty with the aliens and the Chinese. I don't know if that's true, but that's what she heard from inside China. So there's a lot happening in China. And I was also happy to hear that there's just there's a, this one point, what, five billion Chinese. And she sort of is a representative of that because she can speak out. She left China. And a lot of people are having experiences, internal experience, dreamlike experience. It, it, it proves to me, and I already knew it, this is a worldwide phenomena absolutely happening in every country around the world, every continent, every race. This is a turning point in history. So. Oh, wonderful. Well, you guys, we are hitting our time limit for this panel. And I think, Alan, that was a beautiful way to, to, clo to close this discussion today. I'd like to thank each and every one of you joining us today. And I'll thank James and Don who were here and then had to leave. So this was quite the chat and I look forward to these. Yes, we will have another one in the future, maybe two weeks from now, <laughs> but does anybody else have a closing remark? I think we have a couple more minutes. There were some statements made today um, about way that you followed you will react uh, to this subject. I, I'm going to put out a, a plea there for everyone in the field, kind of clean up their act. Uh, that's one thing Jim Sandvan also said to me in the last conversation. As this unrolls over the next months and year and into the following year, that the UFO researchers are going to be the go-to people for a lot of questions asked by the media. 
And I ask that everybody, you know, dot their I's, cross their T's, you know, do, do good work. And uh, because we're representing, like Don Schmidt said earlier, we're re representing the rest of the information to the world that is going to have questions and they're going to want to know the rest of the information. So we have a responsibility there. And, and that's one thing Jim said. He said, they're going to come to us. And, you know, he said, it's going to be boom time for ufology because, you know, everyone's going to be representing this subject to a hungry world and a hungry media. As the Greeks said, ad astra, to the stars, we're just yes. beginning the next chapter of history. Exactly. That's yeah. right. Well, that will wrap it up for today. I'll thank you all on behalf of... It's wonderful that we get to be here to see history happen. I'd like to thank you all on behalf of Grant Cameron's News Network, and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you very much. Bye, Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Nicole. Thank, thank you, Grant. You. Thank you, everyone. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.